place where your love is shared the same For the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow Where the no further friends, the adventure never ends We will save the world somehow In Sunspots Comics now Aloha, comic book fans! We are back! Welcome to the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 210, where I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of recommending and only lightly reviewing of the best of the brand new comic books that just came out the last five new comic book days. Yes. <laughs> I'm also getting over a little bit of a cold, so I'll do my best to try not to snivel and snort. Uh, I'll try my best. I am just super happy to be back. I absolutely missed talking about comic books. It's my jam. It's where I live. And it just, it just feels really good to just share my love for comic books to all of you. So that's what it's all about. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Chris Latore. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Sunspots Comics Podcast. I hope, seriously, that you're just having an excellent day, night, evening, drive, whatever it is. <laughs> I just hope it's excellent. And please do us a tiny Ant-Man-sized favor and hit the subscribe button to the Sunspots Comics Podcast. Then check out all of our past podcasts on our giant podcast feed then please follow us on instagram twitter facebook xbox live and youtube at sunspots comics yes one easy to find name where you can find all about our stuff there about sunspots comics and i always love to start the show with some humble thank yous most importantly thank you to you thank you to the listeners Thank you so much for listening, for finding us here at the Sunspots Comics Podcast. I know there's a ton of podcasts out there, so thank you for lending us your ears. Whether this is your first time just trying us out to see what we're about, or you're one of our Sunspots Comics loyalists, seriously, thank you for choosing the Sunspots Comics Podcast. And I have been going strong with a brand new Sunspots Comics Podcast weekly since I started it back in May of 2015, pretty much without missing more than a week or two until now. So I thought I'd just give a little breakdown as to what happened. I actually started a brand new job, and the new schedule has definitely been a challenging thing with this new job. But I finally kind of settled into it, kind of found my rhythm, my, my stride, and I went back and I binge read about 90 or so comics. Yes, 90. 9 To just get caught up for this here very podcast, number 210. And it's all, again, about just finding the, the stride when you find a new job. And then, just as I'm getting comfortable, my new job at Aftershock, not new job, my continuing job at Aftershock Comics, is about to ramp back up. And so I may have another little adjustment period coming up with that. Um, and plus, the pencils and inks of my comic book that I created called Zombie Destroyers, uh, the issue number one, are done. The pencils and inks are done Beautifully, beautifully drawn by artist Jordan Hudson. Thank you, Jordan, again. Please give him a follow on Instagram, at Skablad, S-K-A-B-L-A-D-D, on Instagram. Give him a follow. He's a fantastic artist. He did the art for my comic book, Zombie Destroyers. But now that issue number one, uh, the pencils and inks are done, I've got to continually edit it. I've been going through it a bunch of times, having some people read it to kind of get some feedback and some pointers and tips. 
Then I got to get it colored. I do have a colorist, uh, Caroline Nolasco, in mind, but she's got a crazy busy schedule, so we'll see how that goes. And then I'm actually doing the lettering for Zombie Destroyer, so I'm super excited that I'm just a part of, I'm just having a great time creating my own comic book my way, the way I've always wanted to do it since I was a little kid. So Zombie Destroyers is coming very soon. If you want to see what it looks like, just go over to sunspotscomics.com and click on Zombie Destroyers. You'll see three little sample pages that are there. And uh, man, I got to see Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. That was fantastic. It was immersive. The food was interesting. The blue milk was delicious. The Just the immersion of the land was the best part, I think. Just you're standing there and you hear sort of the rumble in the trees and random ships are kind of landing throughout. So it just feels like this active spaceport. And you have stormtroopers kind of up above watching you. And they're also fully in character and all the... Disney cast members are in character. It was just fantastic. I'm sure I'll talk more about it uh, as I visit it again because it was just, I was just, it was just a nerdy blur of awesome that is Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Um, lastly, I've I've made a few steps, kind of some interesting big steps, uh, into opening my very own Sunspots Comics brick and mortar store. Yes, I want to open a comic book shop, and uh, so yes, uh, kids. Uh, dreams can become a reality with super hard work <laughs> really really hard work you can have all the dreams that you desire so uh thank you for uh, being a listener thanks for being patient and uh boy you're in for a, a jam-packed podcast here as i take five new comic book days and jam them all into one and do some reviews for swamp thing and dark phoenix so this is just a jam-packed podcast you're in for a great time so hang tight there listeners and also thank you to my friend Nick Papa George. He's the one that sings our Sunspots Comics theme song. I love thanking him. I love hearing it. Thank you, Nick. Please check out his solo singing stuff on Instagram at Nicholas.Dell and his band Solution on Instagram at Nicholas at Solution underscore band. Check them out. If you love Hawaiian-style feel-good reggae music and then kind of sprinkled in with some rock, you're going to absolutely love all the sounds of my friend Nick Papa George and his band Solution. Please check them out. And thank you so much, Nick. I love our theme song. And also thank you to our sponsor, Cryptid Zoo. My buddy Julian hand makes these awesome t-shirts that are designed with augmented reality. Yeah, you don't see a lot of those. And they're based on cryptozoology, like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and stuff. So you take your smartphone and this HP Reveal app and you point your smartphone at any Cryptid Zoo t-shirt and they will come to life. There's like this really fun, weird video presentation. You gotta see it. There are not a lot of shirts out there that do this. Maybe none. So go and check out cryptidzoo.com. And when you go over to the website, use the promotional code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you'll actually get 25% off of any shirt order. So go check it out. Go look at the, the only t-shirt that comes to life out there at cryptidzoo.com. So I got my single knee pad and my single glove because that's all you need <laughs> as I make as I cautiously step up to make a superhero landing. Uh, okay, not a mark. See, not a scratch. Got to wear your protective gear right into the Sunspots Comics podcast issue number 210, starting out with some stuff that's been floating around up inside of my nerdy brain. Yes. And there's so many things floating around inside. The first nugget of nerd lodged ever so deeply in my nerdy frontal lobe is my Dark Phoenix movie review. X-Men, Dark Phoenix, yes. And before I begin, of course, spoiler alert. Now, I am a spoiler-sensitive person, so really my reviews, when I do movie reviews for like, or for movies or TV shows, it's really just how I felt 
about the project, about how I felt about the movie or TV show. I really don't give like a play-by-play. But just in case, here is your spoiler alert. So my first thing I'll kind of talk about is my observation about the theater experience. Uh, We went on opening day. I went with my wife, Patsy, and my niece and nephew. Hello, Christian and Adiana. Uh, My niece is a teen and my nephew is a preteen. Just to give you an idea, I'll kind of tell you their thoughts on it uh, at the very, very end. But right from the get-go, uh, this was intense. This was uh, this was very fast-paced. And I loved that it was scored by Hans Zimmer. The one that comes to mind, the soundtrack immediately comes to mind, is The Dark Knight and uh, Man of Steel. He, he kind of vowed, he did uh, Amazing Spider-Man as well, he vowed to kind of say that he was no longer doing scores to superhero movies. Well, here you go. Here's Dark Phoenix. X-Men Dark Phoenix, uh, scored by Hans Zimmer, and it is fantastic. From the very quiet moments to the ramp-up superhero action moments, he's one of the best. Like, there's John Williams and there's Hans Zimmer, in my opinion. There's a few others, like Mr. Horner is good, but man, having him score really just kind of set this aside to just sounding fantastic. Um, Funny bits, uh, there weren't really any. There wasn't really any kind of joke moments. This was very serious. It was very fast-paced. Uh, the acting performances, Sophie Turner, she's been doing it for eight years on Game of Thrones, or however however long it was, and she just does a phenomenal job of just carrying the emotional weight of the film. She does it really well. She's a seasoned actress now. She's been doing it for, you know, the good portion of her life, when you think about it. And uh, Professor X, he did a great job of just playing the stubborn dad that believes he's always right. That was where he was kind of going with this, the, the sort of motivation of this character. So I would say those two really stood out for me. Maybe a third is Magneto because he's always doing his thing. The story, like I said, intense, serious. It, it's it, it, it actually has some very dark subject matter in it with the underlying story being about a dad, Professor X, who like makes this horrible mistake in the upbringing of a child, the child being Jean Grey, the Phoenix, and is just too stubborn to admit that he made this gigantic mistake uh, but then he finally mans up and just admits his failure and then asks for forgiveness. So that's that's definitely what the underlying very dark subject matter is here. And I didn't really see any kind of other nods to Marvel MCU films. One, uh, Maybe one in that the, uh, the police force that you see uh, uh, sprinkled in here and there, they were wearing badges and patches that said MCU. <laughs> so maybe they were like a mutant... Uh, whatever collection uh, uh, i don't know something but i just thought it was just a nod to them just saying yeah we're not in the mcu but hey here's the mcu patch so that was kind of a nice a neat kind of nod slash easter egg i guess um but i like that the overall vibe felt like the x-men had they were facing real stakes here like no one was actually safe from the phoenix you know of course she she turns bad and so the Phoenix Force is just unrelenting and no one is safe. I like that feel that, that that actually felt like there were true stakes. And there is something that happens to a major character here that I think will not be undone for a very long time. So very interesting that no one felt safe, that there was this impending Phoenix Force doom that was upon them. And uh, the part where I got seriously emotional, because like I said, it's fast paced and it's dark, was just a very big X-Men fight scene. It's it's involving uh, there's it's on top of a train. I think there's two big scenes. There's one on top of a train. And there's one like uh, kind of in this building where the X Men team go to face the Phoenix Force. It just felt so perfectly like X Men balanced, where everyone got a moment to kind of showcase their powers. Like when the X Men comic does that, it 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 feels right that everyone gets a little 
a little sprinkling in that, that, that it's nicely shared. I felt that balance here in the two heavy action scenes with a ton of characters. So that was some of my favorite moments, honestly, were just the action-packed fight scene with all of the X people. It was fantastic. And uh, sadly, there was no Stan Lee cameo in the back of my mind. I was hoping there was. they pulled up one from the archives because I heard that, <coughs> that Stan Lee had filmed a bunch of them, that a bunch of cameos are in the can. So I was hoping they'd sprinkle one in here with Stan Lee, but no, there was not one here. So maybe it gets a slight, I don't know, point off. Anyway, I was just hoping there was one because of all these canned scenes he'd apparently filmed with all kinds of movies. But no. Uh, Easter eggs. There were some actual deep cut comic book Easter eggs in this. So look them up online. But none that really kind of completely rocked my world. Uh, one that I enjoyed was seeing the uh, this logo on all these trucks that say Bishop Power Trucks. Uh, or is it Bishop Power is what it said on these trucks. And it was referencing the X-Men Bishop. So that was kind of nice. That, you know, his power is uh, sort of where he can absorb powers. And so <laughs> maybe he... This is, again, they always skip up a decade or so for all these films, so maybe he now is uh, he's working for a power company? He made one? I don't know. He's powering a power company? Who knows? But interesting, kind of neat little Easter egg. But there were more hardcore ones, especially the alien race that I think was supposed to be the Skrulls, but couldn't be because of because of Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel. So the alien race has been used before. It wasn't like the movies just kind of made one up. The alien being in the comic has been seen before. Uh, and bonus end credit, there was one. This isn't really spoilery because we know the Phoenix Force is very hard to kill. So we do see the Phoenix uh, streaking across the sky. They don't really kind of pay too much attention or focus really on that she died per se. Uh, they just kind of, uh, you know, she changes, she kind of goes away. So it, it wasn't really a spoilery scene that I'm spoiling, for example. And it wasn't really kind of a, ooh, cool Easter egg. It was just a bonus scene showing her streak across the sky. So wait. But there's no end-end credit scene. So you don't have to wait to the very end of the credits in case you haven't seen it or you're thinking of still going. I know the credit, the critics have been harsh. I, I try not to listen to them. I, I did after, but I, I didn't before, thankfully. But there's no end-end credit scene, which when I was in the theater, there was some grumbles by some fans going, oh, what? There's no... There's no extra, extra, extra scene, but it was fine because this is the end of the Fox X-Men films as it is handed over to Mr. Kevin Feige, the mastermind, the, the MCU mastermind, to just be thrown into his amazing toy box at the Marvel Disney Studios. So go for it, Kevin. Get the Fantastic Four going. Get the X-Men going. I know it's going to be a... We need to sort of have a palate cleanse and leave it alone for a little while. Maybe Fantastic Four's next. That would be nice. But uh, X-Men will be rested. They're going to be put in the toy box and closed. So uh, we won't be seeing them for a while, I'm sure. But my favorite character, maybe besides the Phoenix, you know, that she was the key character. She was interesting. She had depth. It was an emotional journey that she went through. But my other favorite character might be Magneto. I just, I love the complicated mess that is his life. And I love uh, that they kind of dig into this mutant island, which might be Genosha from the comics, maybe. It's a smaller kind of island. <laughs> Maybe just a three-hour tour, but anyway, um, I love that he, that he's always this just stro this very strong like pro mutant leader. That he always has the mutants' best interest. He's always just trying to keep them safe and have them, him and other mutants, just find their place in the world. Uh, at sort of this point in Magneto's life, he's not out for conquest yet and to be the only dominant species on the planet. He, he's, he's just be right now. He's he's a sort of quiet 
rebel leader that's just keeping people chill for a moment. Maybe he's gathering gathering all of the mutants that want to join his cause to Genosha. Then he attacks, but who knows what Feige is going to do moving forward. But anyway, um, I say don't listen to the credits as I'm wrapping this thing up. Uh, before I go into my final overall score, my wife loved it. She has seen all of the X-Men movies with me, including the Brian Singer run, the first ones. Uh, the nieces and the nephews hadn't seen all of the X-Men movies. A sprinkling here and there as I talked to them, because again, the niece is a teen and the nephew's a preteen. But they loved it. They totally enjoyed it. They want to see it again. They had questions afterwards. They were like, who's that? Who's this? Is that person that? Is that person? It inspired them to like, oh, I got to see the other X-Men movies now. So I, I saw it a little through their eyes and was all kind of pumped up and jazzed that they were interested. It wasn't like the movie was over and they're like, okay, bye. We were talking about it and had questions. I love that when that happens. So uh, teens and preteens, I think you'll love it whether you see all the other ones, all the other X-Men movies. So my advice before I give my overall score is just, just toss aside <laughs> all your comic book continuity that's in your mind. I know that's not easy to do. And toss aside whatever's happened in all of the other X-Men movies. I know, not easy to do. And just enjoy this action-packed, intense, kind of dark superhero flick. Um, I overall give the score 4 out of 5 sunspots. That's right, a solid B, like an 85%. Yes, I know that's very... Uh, I'm not just trying to be a contrarian here. Uh, that's how I truly felt about it. I wrote notes down from after when I saw the movie, which was weeks ago, or a few weeks ago. This is how I felt, and this is how I still feel. Even going back and trying to find some footage online and watching the trailers again, I'm still pumped. Like, I want to see the movie again in the theaters. And that says a lot. I don't uh, just easily spend money going to the theater. It's a very expensive thing to do. It's like $1,200 every time you go to the movies. But I know Spider-Man's coming out next week, July 2nd. I can't wait. I already got my tickets. So not sure if I'll go back and see The Dark Phoenix. We'll see how that pairs up if Spider-Man just takes all the juju and uh and dark phoenix's uh, flame extinguishes we'll see but dark phoenix x-men dark phoenix is a buy for me an absolute buy on blu-ray slash digital which says a lot i really try not to buy a lot of medium uh, of anything uh entertainment stuff unless i love it so i am going to buy it and I'm excited to see it again. Like, I want to see it now before I see Spider-Man, just to kind of get it rolling. But we'll see. There's very little time between now and July 2nd. It's coming up so fast. But uh, like I said, go and see it. Toss aside your continuity. Toss aside what you th your thoughts of other X-Men movies. Just enjoy X-Men Dark Phoenix for what it is. A fun, action-packed superhero flick. So there you go. There's my review of X-Men The Dark Phoenix. And the next thing swimming around inside the deep pool that is my nerdy brain <laughs> is my review of the Swamp Thing TV show on the DCU and of course spoiler alert like I said I'm a spoiler sensitive person I don't give you the play by play I just talk about how I felt about this so this is Swamp Thing on the DCU if you haven't ha if you don't have a DCU membership do it now because I think it's gonna change into the Warner Brothers app or something soon but worth the five bucks a month I think there's still like a coupon code or you can get the first month free so get uh, go to DC Universe online to uh, dcuniverse.com to uh, join you need to but here you go spoiler alert for Swamp Thing the TV show on the DCU so put to put in some context here one of the first comics that I ever bought was Saga of the Swamp Thing issue number 28 written by Alan Moore amazingly drawn by Stephen Bissett Stephen Bissett and uh, this is way back in September of 1984 I was 
just a wide-eyed wee lad back then, but it was one of my first comics that I ever bought. And I really had no idea what I was reading. I reread it. It was very adult. It was very serious, very intense. Swamp Thing was always sort of very sad and emotional. Uh, and it honestly kind of disturbed me. And Swamp Thing is, in it, at its core, a very emotional comic. You know, he's... You know, Alec Holland is affected by being the Swamp Thing and just wants to live a normal life, but can't. And his memory's messed up. And so it's very emotional. And it affected me in a way that no other media had at the time. So uh, thank you to Swamp Thing and to Spider-Man. Those two uh, just hooked me for life for the comic book medium. So I, I had high hopes. I loved the old Swamp Thing movie. Go see it. It's cheesy. Yes. Uh, it, it's still a great time for me. I enjoyed it. And it looked great. But uh, just so you know, a Swamp Thing, uh, it's, it's going to be 10 episodes. I'm only two episodes in. Uh, but I feel that, that seriously, the Swamp Thing comic book creators, Bernie Wrightson and Len Wein, uh, they're just looking down from their swamp in the sky on this TV show and just smiling. I think they'll be seriously happy of the outcome here, of what they get, what do we get uh, for the Swamp Thing TV show. So, uh, Ben, Bernie, and Len. Thank you for your amazing creation. That is Swamp Thing. But the gist, quick gist. Uh, so Abby Arcane, she's a CDC representative. She returns home to Louisiana to investigate this deadly swamp-born virus. And she develops this kind of friendship, kind of romantic uh, thing going with disgraced scientist Alec Holland. So that's a little bit different that he's kind of disgraced. Um, he's hired to find these new swampy mutagens but kind of uncovers that the mutagens are being altered and that they're being artificially accelerated in growth. So that's kind of the quick gist of the story. But there's a lot of characters involved here. There's like this town leader guy that you'll recognize. He's a famous actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. I forgot his name. <clears throat> Him and his wife are de definitely recognizable actors. And uh, Jennifer Beals, she's in there as well. From uh, She did like you know flash dance from my childhood. And uh, I think she was in that uh, The L Word but Swamp Thing does veer a bit from the comics. It does, but not uh, so widely that it veers uh, where it doesn't capture the very important beats of Swamp Thing. So you get that. And for example, like the Abby character, I remember uh, they, they show uh, that her in the, in the comic book, she's one character. But in the TV show, she's kind of like the merging of two characters. She's like Linda Holland, who's Alex's wife, and Abby kind of merged together into one, into this CDC you know, disease scientist. So that's fine. It works out okay. It's you know it's compact storytelling, which there is TV. There's only ten episodes this season. Um, and observations about the look of it: they spent a gajillion dollars, something like eighty million dollars, on this set that is gorgeous because they can completely control every aspect of it. The lighting is wonderful. The camera movement as it flows through the swamp is just spot on. It has a movie-like sensibility, a movie-like quality. So hats off to the set. And man, I just want to visit that set because it's just eerie and murky and gross looking and swampy and algaeated. It just looks great. And uh, this is very rated R, by the way. It's very horror filled. It's very dark. Uh, not Game of Thrones level dark. <laughs> you can actually see some things, most things, even in the murkiest parts of these swamp scenes. But, but seriously, watch Swamp Thing in complete darkness. If you have any other exterior room light or whatever, you, it's going to be hard to see stuff. But definitely watch it in the dark. It adds to the element, to the horrorness, and the jump scares that you get. And Aquaman director James Wan, who I seriously adore and got to actually meet a while back at a Comic-Con, he really knows what he's doing here with the horror genre. 
this has his sprinkling. It has his influence. It's got his fingerprints, his DNA on this. He's had a, Mr. James Wan has had a huge success in horror from films like The Conjuring and Insidious and the Saw films back back in the early 2000s. So yeah, James Wan knows how to do horror and it's all here in Swamp Thing. And by the way, the most important key element of it, I think that really sells this show is that Swamp Thing looks perfect. He's wet, he's glistening, He's just oozing onto the screen, <laughs> splattering at times. He's growing. You can see that there's bits of him just physically growing. But they captured also the like the sad eyes of Swamp Thing very well. That's very important. They got that sort of sadness captured, I think, is a, a core part of the Swamp Thing comic book. And the practical effects mixed with the CGI just pairs perfectly well. You, at times, can't quite tell what's practical and what's CG, so it blends very well. Darkness helps. Murkiness helps. And I love the Swamp Thing. is a it's, it's a wonderful practical suit that just, again, it just comes alive with vines that are just moving and growing on his body. But not like, he's not like Carnage where it's like a symbiote. It's just subtle in the way it's kind of growing. And sometimes in scenes, you'll see things that have just kind of popped up and they're just oozing out of them. So Swamp Thing looks perfect. And I think my, my favorite sequence, by the way, so far in just the episode one, by the way, of Swamp Thing, is the transformation, is Alex's transformation to the Swamp Thing. It's just murky and filled with green muck. And uh, I love just the green element of it. They keep that going as a, as a theme, not like a dark, all different shades of green to just kind of nail that feeling into the ground, into the swamp. And, uh, and they, they really just had to nail that transformation scene. I think that's, that's super important for comic book fans to just, to just say, yes. And I actually did as I was watching it. I just said, yes, very loud and proud. <laughs> and uh, acting performances, spot on. The person that plays Alex is right on. The person that pays Abby, she has some emotional crying moments. She sells it well. And I love the relationship that comes from a kind of a place of scientific respect between Alec and Hobby, or Alec and Abby. And, uh, and they both have this kind of desire to find the cure and to help people. So, And they mix in a little just subtle humor and kind of flirtiness. I think it's just a perfect combo for a love story element that I think they're going to go with. So, yeah, I'm a big sucker, big romantic for the, uh, the love stuff. Bring it on. And, uh, the, and also, there's a, there's a DC character appearance here. You get to see, in the first episode, uh, an appearance from Floronic Man, a.k.a. Plant Master, a.k.a. Floro aka the cedar <laughs> i love all his names um but he's even an acquaintance of miss poison ivy go back and look it up you'll see what i'm talking about in the comics floronic is like a major thorn <laughs> in, in swamp thing's side a swampy tendril branch like thorn that just jams into the side of swamp thing from time to time and a very well acted by the way by kevin duran you'll recognize him he's in a ton of stuff <clears throat> So, oh, and there's another uh, DC character appearance. It's from Mr. Sharknado himself, Mr. Ian Ziering. Yes, Mr. Beverly Hills 90210. He plays this stuntman turned movie star that played the DC comic character Blue Devil in a movie. Like there's a movie poster, a completed movie poster that he, that he references and says he'll autograph for people. He owns this video shop, yes, in the middle of a swamp in Louisiana, and it's today. This isn't set in 1970s through late 80s. <laughs> so that's just funny and sad at the same time that he's renting videos to people. Uh, when they walk in, not a single customer. There you go. <laughs> no one looking at any of the shelves. So how he stays in business, no idea. Um, but he, he also just adds a bit of light and kind of a bit of fun in this uh, very dark and murky comic book horror show. So 
I dug that. I liked uh, Ian Zaring's character, and uh, I hope we get like a, I don't know, a cool flashback of the Blue Devil or something, uh, you know, a trailer of the Blue Devil movie that Ian Zaring plays the Blue Devil. It, that would just be great. Because uh, look up Blue Devil, DC character, done a bunch of comics with him. Uh, he's been around for a while. So I can't, uh, the, the, uh, the, ele- the green monster in the room, the elephant, the swampy elephant in the room here, the cancellation, I'll discuss that, which is weird. They announced the cancellation, uh, I believe, just right as the first episode came out, which is like, wow, talk about shooting itself in the both feet and then, you know, uh, walking, run, running headfirst into a wall is a kind of an odd time to do. Why don't you just wait till the 10 episodes are done and then say, by the way, it's been canceled. Like, harsh thing to do the all, to all the actors and directors and producers and everyone working on it. It's like, yeah, we're, yeah, we have a lot of faith in this show. Uh, it's canceled. And by the way, it's, I don't even think it's a full cancellation. It's because Warner Brothers wants to have its own digital platform media like Netflix, like everyone's doing. There's going to be 400 of them we're going to have to pay for before, before in the next five, 10 years, I feel. So they're worried about where the DCU will fit. Uh, I watch it all the time, so I think it's great. A few of my friends have it as well. I think it's great, but maybe it's not paying off for them in the way they hoped. But I think bad PR move to announce it's canceling now. When uh, this is getting great reviews, it's getting great tomato meters, it's getting an excellent IMDb, it's uh, getting great buzz, Swamp Thing is, so strange, odd, weird. They would say it's already canceled. But there's 10 episodes to go uh, total in season one. We're I think we're five in. So uh, my overall score as of now, again, this is only watching uh, Swamp Thing, uh, the episode one and two. I'm giving it a solid B plus, A minus right there. I would even consider this a rewatch, and which I almost never say when it comes to tel- television. Almost never. There's so much television, so many episodes, but it's only 10. And if it's truly, truly canceled and not just left alone for a few years and then Warner Brother releases season two... And they, did, and they sell it on Blu-ray or digital, I would buy it. And that says a lot. I don't own a lot of television. Uh, one that comes right to mind is The Flash, season one. I own that. Uh, Game of Thrones, I own. So there you go. I hold it up there. I would buy this now. Now, if they come out with season two and a bunch of other seasons and do 25 episodes, this, I don't know. But I think I would buy so far, from what I'm seeing, I'd buy episode one, or season one of The Swamp Thing. That, seriously, it says a, a, a ton so uh, there you go. There's my review of the Swamp Thing TV show. Watch it. It's fantastic. It's dark. It's horror. It's just a lot of fun. It's murky. It's gross. It's very rated R. Like I said, a lot of heavy violence and F words and stuff, but it's great. Watch the Get the DCU app and watch the Swamp Thing. It may be the best of the shows from Doom Patrol to the Titans to Swamp Thing. It may be the best of the original content on the DCU so far, but I still have, you know, seven episodes to go. We'll see. But it's fantastic. And the last thing germinating around in my swampy nerdy brain <laughs> is that uh, DC Comics is launching a new imprint called Hill House. Yes, this is coming from the mind of Stephen King's firstborn son, Joe Hill. Yes, he did The Cape from IDW, which was a top Sunspots Comics pick of the week, more than once, by the way. And he also did Lock and Key, which is one of my favorite horror comic books of all time and it's a very short list when it comes to horror comic books uh another one is uh harrow county that comes to mind those are like my two favorite lock and key and horror and and harrow county are two of my favorite horror comic books of all time so joe hill's doing his own imprint at dc we're going to be getting he's going to be launching and writing and overseeing five new dc uh horror comics uh the launch will begin 
with Basket Full of Heads on October 30th, just in time for Halloween, so perfect. So yeah, I'm excited to see what's going to come out of the mind of Joe Hill in the realm of horror. He's said in, in more than one occasion that he is a comic book creator first in his his writing preference, if you will. He's done a couple of novels as well, books. Uh, so uh, I am super excited that they're giving Joe Hill the keys to his own DC Comics imprint with five new limited series comics. Like I said, Basket Full of Heads is starting October 30th. And so I'm super excited. I can't wait to see what just comes out of the evil dark mind of Joe Hill. Can you imagine the bedtime stories that his dad Stephen King would tell him? Yikes. So we get 5% of that. We're going to be in great hands. So he has a way of it just not being so, I don't know, over the top dark and horrific. And that he just, he just great storytelling and character development into all of his, his horror comics. I mean, lock and key, you can maybe only, some don't even call it a horror comic. I don't know. I've heard people say it's, you know, fantasy. So anyway, I can't wait to see Hill House from DC Comics starting around Halloween this year. So check that out. Five new limited series coming from the mind of Joe Hill, who did The Cape and Lock and Key. I can't wait. Can't wait, can't wait. And next is a quick mention of our interview segment of our podcast. It's called Spotlighting. Spotlighting is where I share the conversations I've had with comic book creators. Please check out the spotlighting interview that's on the Sunspots Comics feed right now. I'm super proud of it. It's a conversation with comic book creator, writer, and artist Daniel Warren Johnson. He created and wrote two of my favorite comic books of all time, Extremity and Murder Falcon from Image Comics. They have both been Sunspots Comics' top picks of the week. So we get to talk about Daniel Warren Johnson's process of making comics, how he got into the comic book business, and so much more. We nerded out for almost two hours. He's definitely one of my favorite comic book creators of all time. I even played two of his heavy metal shredding guitar tracks on the intro and outro. So give it a listen. It's Daniel Warren Johnson on the spotlighting feed here at Sunspots Comics. Please check it out. Oh, and also check out the Sunspots Comics podcast issue number 196. I have two amazing interviews from this year's Long Beach Comic Expo. The first one's from Marguerite Bennett. She's the writer of Bombshells from DC and Animosity from Aftershock. And the second is with DJ Kirkbride. He's the writer of Aaron Boys from Image Comics. They are two fantastic comic book creators. So check those out. That's issue number 196 of this podcast. And there's so many other great interviews that I haven't mentioned, by the way, of a bunch of comic book creators. They're all on our Sunspots Comics feed. Check it out. And if you work in the business of comic books or you're trying to break into comic books like me, let's have a fun chat about your comic book right here on a future Sunspots Comics podcast. All you got to do is send me your comic so I can read it. I do have to genuinely enjoy your comic book. And uh, when you send it to me, um, give me a slight message that you, you know, you're going to send it to me with PDF or whatever to my email, chris at sunspotscomics.com. Or, of course, hit me up at Sunspots Comics so we can set that up. I definitely want to do my part to support uh, comic book creators out there. So now, on to the Soul Stone, the Kyber Crystal, the AllSpark, the super-powered main event of the Sunspots Comics podcast, which is where I share with you my comic book recommendations. I'm about to share with you my favorite picks. This is the top stuff. This is the best of the best of the new comic books that just came out on the last five new comic book days. That's right. It's from May 29th through through June 26th. Five new comic book days jammed into one podcast, folks. Yes, that's right. It's all here. It's a lot. And just in case you're a spoiler-sensitive person, here is your super-duper light semi-spoiler-ish alert. 
But seriously, don't worry. Like I said, I just want to inspire you. I want you to support comics. I want you to go out and buy these comics. So I'm definitely not going to seriously spoil them. I never discuss the cliffhanger or the very last couple of pages. And I only discuss some of the interesting points that makes up a comic book. So in case you're wondering, why didn't you cover that? I don't want to give it all up. I just want to inspire you to read it. So just in case you've been super duper light, semi-spoiler-ish alerted. And of course, before I get into the top comic book picks, let me announce this week's artist winner and cover artist winner of the week. Every week I pick what I believe is the best of the comic book art that came out this week, and in this case, the last five weeks. <laughs> so you gotta put your nerdy eyeballs on these now. Uh, with the 90 comic books that I read in the last five new comic book days, it was seriously hard to just pick one art winner and one cover artist winner of the week, so I may uh, mention that some of the other covers and artists, uh, art that I read was beautiful and was a potential winner, so I may go over that. But my pick for the cover artist winner of the week is Greg Smallwood for his beautiful kaleidoscope styled cover for Star Wars Vader Dark Vision, Visions, issue number five from Marvel Comics. Dark Visions has been fantastic. If you love Darth Vader and you love Star Wars, you gotta read this. It's so good. They're all one shots. But this cover right here is just uh, interesting. It's very different. It's not like something you see a lot in comic book covers. So it does look like a kaleidoscope. It's got Darth Vader merged in the middle with like this black skull. So the top of his uh, helmet looks pretty normal, the dome, but then the bottom of it just goes into this skull. And you have these kaleidoscope-like effects from like fire that makes like an X across his chest to this strange kind of green swamp background. And it, it's the red eyes of Darth Vader that really stand out. So this is just gorgeous. you got to look at it. Again, it's Greg Smallwood, his cover art for Star Wars Vader Dark Visions issue number five. It needs to, it, it would be an awesome tattoo. It, uh, it also, it kind of, like I said, it's kaleidoscope. So it just has this repeating pattern. It looks almost alive, like it needs to move and flux and change. But uh, it's very different. Please give uh, Greg Smallwood a follow if you want to see what his art's all about. He's on everything at Savage Smallwood. Check his stuff out. Give him a follow. He's a fantastic artist. He's, he's been a Sunspots Comics artist winner and cover artist winner of the week many times. He's that good. That's Greg Smallwood. Star Wars, Vader, Dark Visions, issue number five is our cover winner of the week. And the artist winner of the week, man, there were so many good ones. But the artist winner of the week goes to Mahmoud Azrar of Conan the Barbarian, issue number seven from Marvel Comics. He seriously, again, another Sunspots Comics artist winner of the week uh, a few times. Do yourself a favor and look at his wonderful gift of art. Follow him at Mahmoud Azrar. That's M-A-H-M-U-D-A-S-R-A-R. Mahmoud Azrar. Phenomenal artist. And he just, his Instagram is just littered with pictures of his wonderful art from Conan the Barbarian. So this, uh, his art in number seven here is just, it's so consistent it's so uh, set physically perfect from all of the emotions in the face are just wonderful. There's a lot of brooding. There's a lot of anger. Uh, there's also these just epic long shots of like in the opening sequence of Tortage or Tortage. That just looks like this uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, town. And it's just this rundown sort of sea village. And it's just gorgeous. There's so much green there and blue. And it, it, it does remind me of Pirates of the Caribbean. This, this, this messed up pirate village. And he goes into this, at night, into this, uh, this like kind of brothel bar. And it's got this warm fireplace that's just lighting the whole place. And there's all these dark, deep shadows. 
and so many interesting characters like this woman in the bar has like this crazy you know scar going through her eye and has like one kind of eye that's white and the other one that's normal so he had to draw all these interesting looking faces and then conan hires all of these women i'm not sure if they're uh, women of the night per se but he hires them because they just look cunning and look like fighters look like they've been through some stuff and so he just so perfect Mahmoud Ezra just perfectly draws their face of just this you know weathered angry fighting women and I love that they look strong they look powerful they look interesting they look all different from different parts of the world so he had to you know mixed ethnic backgrounds and colors and strengths and musculature it's just a wonderful workshop in how you do comic book art folks go look at Mahmoud Azrar's work here wonderful stuff Conan the Barbarian uh, issue number seven is what I'm talking about by the way so give him a follow like I said he's a fantastic artist but man maybe my favorite sequence in this is when Conan is fighting a pack of wolves a pack of them uh, with sword and bites and blood and anger and saliva flying and teeth snarling it's beautiful and there's even wolves like in the background just waiting to be tapped into this fight between just one guy conan and all these wolves it's uh beautiful and gory and just uh it has this visceralness to it it's wonderful anyway our artist winner of the week again conan the barbarian issue number seven mr mahmoud azrar artist winner of the week fantastic stuff in in 90 comics it was the one the one the chosen one yes <laughs> um so check that out and the breakdown this week, uh, these five weeks, I read a pull list of over 90 comics. Yeah, nine zero comics for five new comic book days. That's May 29th through sub, through uh, through June 26th. Five new comic book days that I'm talking about here. 90 comics, and 14 of them made it to the Great Ones recommendation list. That's right, I'm about to give you 14 fantastic comics. They got to be great to make the Sunspots Comics podcast top pick list so 14 of them out of 90 were great and new number ones by the way i had so many new number ones too many to count out of the 90 but five of them made it to this pick so of the 14 top picks five of them are new number ones they got to be four and a half and above they got to be excellent picks to make my sunspots comics top pick list so definitely get those four new number ones that i'm about to mention here because they are phenomenal and you could be in on the fun right from the beginning because that's very cool right so here we go. Here are my new comic book recommendations. As I said, there's 14. This is my list of what I consider to be the best of the new comic books that just came out on these last five new comic book days from May 29th to June 26th. I strongly recommend you go and buy these 14 comic books at your local comic book shop today. Please support your local comic book shop. By the way, what local comic book shop do you support? I've been there. That's really a great comic book shop. <laughs> uh, I happen to support Comic Madness in Ontario, California. Shout out to owner Lee and manager Jeremy. Jeremy, by the way, is a friend of mine. He's the manager of Comic Madness in Ontario. He's currently working on a variant cover of my very comic book that I created called Zombie Destroyers for issue number one. He's doing a variant cover. So thank you, Jeremy, so much. Please give him a follow. Check out what his art is all about. He's on Instagram at SkeletonKing82. Check him out. And by the way, please support your local comic book shops. They really need all the help they can get. Buy some paper comics. So now, as I said, there's 14 great comic books I'm about to discuss and recommend to you. So here we go. And by the way, I'm breaking format a bit. I usually rank them. And I didn't this week just because there were so many. I wanted to save a little time. But I definitely recommend you buy all 14 of these amazing comics. So they're in no particular order. Uh, they Actually, the only order that is there is that they're from the oldest new comic book day to 
the current new comic book day. So it starts the older from May 29th all the way to the last few comics being this week's new comic book day, June 26th. But seriously, buy these 14 comics. You will not be disappointed. I promise you. So here we go. <sighs> 14 of them. Man, they're all so great, though. Um, they're just amazing. So I'm starting out with Ascender, issue number two. This is from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire and art by Dustin Nguyen. I've met him a few times. He's a great guy. He's done sketches for me. His covers are phenomenal. It's, it's a watercolor painted style that he does here, so it looks like it takes a long time. The cover is like this octopus tendril monster with all these eyes. It's beautiful. Very, very much a cover art winner of the week runner up here. And there's a young woman standing there merged into this monster of madness with this kind of, it almost has like a vampire look that she's standing above. And oh, these tendrils with all the eyes. It's like an octopus with a million eyes. It's gruesome looking. And it's watercolored and it's beautiful. Definitely runner-up for, for cover artist winner. But this is interesting in that it does tie into the Descender uh, comic. This is uh, Ascender. It's like 10 years later into what happened there. And it centers around a young woman named Mila, I believe. She's probably 10 years old. The, uh, the robot dog from the previous series land, crash lands on her planet... And it's Andy. It's Andy from the previous series. He's a grown man now. This is his daughter. And uh, I, it's this is just one that's getting better. So issue number one did not make the top pick list. Issue number two did. And they're adding into Ascender a fantasy uh, realm into this. A, a fantasy nod. It's got dragons in it. It's got magic in it. So they're definitely turning the take, making a hard right turn from science fiction to fantasy. And this this introduces the bad guy. Kind of goes a little further into who this bad guy is and they are building a fantastic bad guy that you definitely want to see something horrible happen to this bad guy but that's where you see this octopus monster i love the design of it it's like that again this weird octopus thing the evil villain literally rips out one of his eyeballs and jams it into this this baby octopus thing that becomes the uh the drone the lookout monster looking for uh looking for this this robot pet because on the planet where they're on like technology is not allowed but uh this this robot just crash landed on the planet so andy and his daughter instead of hiding are now going to have to run and it's all about the father daughter relationship and i'm always a sucker uh, for when comics do that so i highly recommend that it's a sweet relationship it's adorable they kind of explain what happened to the mom which is heartbreaking so that's why i definitely had an emotional pull here and why issue number two of Ascender is on that top pick list. It's uh, the first of the 14. So get Ascender. Great team. Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. You cannot go wrong. Watercolored. Beautiful. Next up is uh, from the DC Black Label series. It's um, Scott Snyder and Mr. Greg Capullo doing Batman Last Night on Earth. Book number one. Glorious cover. It's like this red back background and Batman is just silhouetted while he's carrying this lantern of the head of the batman who laughs possibly or just the it's the joker with his green hair and wicked smile and i know they've they've teased upon that batman will have a green lantern ring that's at the core of this but it's some of greg capullo's best art he's great and like in this opening sequence it shows someone like drawing um like chalk on the ground and it's so hyper zoomed, it's crazy. Like you see the details, the fingernail on the cement. And uh, and then it just quickly goes in between these cuts of the Batmobile, like zipping through Gotham. It's beautiful and dark and it's raining and it's everything that you want 
And it's a, a great kind of new design to a Batmobile. I don't think we've seen. He's twisted the design a bit, which looks fantastic. And even hats off the design of the bat suit that he goes with. Greg Capullo went with a little shorter ears and a little nod to the 52 uh, Batman, but he's kind of made it its own, so I appreciate that. It's a definite kind of unique stance because it's this under this DC black label. So the opening sequence grabs you from the get-go because uh, it's like Batman comes out of his car to find like a zombified Bruce Wayne kid. He's like, what? <coughs> Pardon me. And yes, it's uh, it's himself as a kid with zombie eyes in the same alley where his parents were, were killed. What? You're like, what the heck is happening here? And then Batman is drugged. And it's kind of the Moon Knight situation here. You have where he's in a psychiatric ward and uh, they're trying to convince him that Batman was all in his head. And it's all part of his uh, psychosis that uh, he's, uh, you know, lost his frame of reality. So it definitely has this Moon Knight vibe from it, which I loved the last run of Moon Knight, Moon Knight, by the way. So if you're liking what I'm saying, go read Moon Knight and read this. But there is an entire cast of people that look like uh, the the rogue gallery of Batman that are just members of Arkham Asylum's mental ward that are trying to help this poor young man, Bruce Wayne, who imagined everything. Or did he? Because maybe he's being drugged or tortured. So it's it's playing upon that, and I love it. I love the, the whole sort of second act is kind of living in Arkham, and is this reality or not reality? It's well played. And when it finally comes out of it, yes, it's a little dream sequency and kind of odd and strange, but I love it because Greg Capullo's art is on point here from the far shots to the close-up zoom shots, all of it from the action sequences. Some of my favorite sequences here are just Batman doing his thing. They're lovely. And this makes some weird turns as well, like from this psychosis, he ends up in the desert. How? They don't explain it. He's just there. There's this all in his mind. So there is that play with that. So I'm definitely tuned in. I got to see where this goes. That's uh, Batman The Last Night on Earth. It's a limited series. I believe it's going to be six, maybe. But man, beautiful art. Scott Snyder's on it so far, making you wonder what the heck's going on. He does that a lot early on, and then it makes sense towards the end. Definitely just tickling us here with a bat feather. <laughs> so that's Batman, Last Night on Earth. Get that. It's fantastic. Great time to jump on. Just number one's come out. Number two, uh, we'll see how they do as far as time goes. Next up is, uh, f this is uh, Dark Red, issue number three. This is from Aftershock Comics. It's written by Tim Seeley. Wonderful, wonderful art by Corin Howell. I'm loving this little twist on the vampire genre. This is mainly focused around a kind of like a Republican vampire <laughs> who has this sort of desire for the America of old. You know, he's uh, he's very much against Nazis, but he's kind of a kind of a right wing vampire, sort of. There's a little bit of politicalness thrown into this. Even some of the covers have the the make America great again hats like on a rack in like a convenience store because that's where he works. But he's this this vampire that it centers around has actually just tried to stay away from the whole vampire community and sort of make his own little niche. Uh, he found a person that has a rare blood disorder that creates too much blood in their body, so needs to give blood constantly, and that's just perfect for him because he doesn't want to hunt and kill people so he can keep this person alive. I love the little relationship they have where she kind of flirts with him, but he's like, you know, you're kind of food, so that's weird. <laughs> but uh, Dark Red has a ton of things going on. I'm only covering some 
of the weird and interesting sort of topics that are handled here in Dark Red. But it's definitely a twist on the vampire genre. And this particular issue, it's, it's a flashback to when he was in World War II. So it is modern day that we see this vampire. He's obviously immortal. But he's thinking back to World War II when he was turned into a vampire. And yes, it very much explains why he hates Nazis so much. And it's a great sort of a journey into the World War II era. It definitely a, has a romantic you know, vibe for it, that, that war to, to, for, to fight for what's right in the world and, and stop Nazis at all costs. And tragically, he gets, like a, he gets an illness and the team has no choice. His World War II buddies have no choice but to leave him in this, like, I believe he's in a French, small French village. And uh, that's when he's turned, when he is visited by a dark passenger, a dark visitor, a vampire that does not give him the choice. But at the same time, uh, this young vampire, vampirette, teaches him how to kill Nazis, teaches him how to be a vampire, and they go after a ton of Nazis. And I love that sequence of fighting and action. Uh, there was uh, that movie I saw recently from J.J. Abrams of uh, kind of merging together zombies and Nazis. And this is vampire and Nazis. Or maybe it was vampires. I don't remember. But anyway, they get to kill these crazy Nazis that are actually trying to like experiment with uh, vampires and sort of harness that skill uh, or that power uh, to use against the war. So they kind of helped turn the tide and killed a lot of sort of vampire scientists here. So it's great. Check out Dark Red. It's a lot of fun. Uh, they go back into where his, this, again, the main character of Dark Red, his territory is being uh, invaded by other vampires that want him back in the vampire fold. But he, again, he's just this guy that wants to live quietly in the middle of nowhere with a vampire and this uh, friend that has that blood disorder. So it's his world's getting rocked and things are happening and he has to fight some of these other vampires. How he does it is kind of interesting. So definitely check out Dark Red issue number two from Aftershock Comics. I was just happily surprised and uh, it's on the, this list. There are two comics that will be on the list twice. So this is one of them that will be, again, I'll be discussing it here shortly. But the next up is The Walking Dead, issue number 192. This is written by Robert Kirkman. And this is art by Charlie Adler. And I can't believe it's on 192. We're approaching 200 issues of Walking Dead. So this is a little extra spoilery alert on this one, folks. I'm going to talk about a major occurrence in this comic. That is The Walking Dead issue number 192. So extra little spoiler alert. So here we go. Um, this is the death of Rick Grimes. Yeah, the death. I can't believe I'm saying it. Number 192. It happens. It actually happens sort of at the end of 191, but this is uh, reliving it just a little, backing it up a smidge. I feel like I'm whispering because my wife hasn't read it yet, <laughs> she, so I don't want to spoil it for her, and she's in the other room. But um, <laughs> So I'm getting quiet. I'm going to lean in. But uh, this at the very opening sequence, it backs it up for a sec, and it goes into Rick Grimes being shot multiple times in the chest by the young mayor's son of this new commonwealth of a large group of people that have actually come very close to sort of restoring society to how it was but it's it's full of classes again it's upper class middle class lower class so rick doesn't believe that's right and other people's don't in in this community they don't believe that's right and so Rick's kind of part of the movement to like say, no, look, we don't have to have the same classes as before. We can be whatever we want to be. We can change it up. We don't have to go the same exact route or make the same mistakes that civilization made before. He's part of that movement. 
but he sort of dethrones the main mayor of the Commonwealth, and the son, very spoiled idiot son, was not having any part of that. He liked his life the way it was. And so, to Rick Grimes, yes. Spack, spack, spack. Great opening sequence, beautifully drawn by Charlie Adler. He captured it. It's basically wordless, as it should have been, as the fall of Rick Grimes finally happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's all I'll say. And there's, there's sort of a little aftermath to that. There's how Carl handles it. Uh, it's emotional. I had the chills. I couldn't believe I was reading it. It, it shocked me. It, uh, it also was a pleasant surprise. It's like, yeah, this... This, this is what Robert Kirkman does when you get comfortable and you think things are going along one particular way. Robert Kirkman goes, blip, uh, rug out from under as you fall down. <laughs> but it, for me, they've always been interesting, happy, crazy turns to keep The Walking Dead interesting and to keep me reading it for all of 192 issues. Yes. So The Walking Dead, monumental, huge issue. I can't read to, wait to read 193 and see more of the aftermath of the death of Rick Grimes. Oh boy. Okay, so next up, I can go back to regular volume, is Deceased, issue number two of six. Yes, from DC Comics. It's DC Comics zombie story, sort of, kind of thing. <laughs> but the cover's great. Uh, I love uh, the, the team here, which I'll find it in a second as I'm scrolling through. It's uh, pencils by Trevor Harsine and Harsine and writer Tom Taylor. And I love it. It's gritty. It's realistic. The art is solid. It just, uh, it has all the right emotional clicks you need with uh, how the people are handling this crazy virus that happens through your cell phone? Looking at social media? Yeah. A little frightening. Great. A little uh, nod to a metaphor to our world today with social media. It's a virus. Get it? But anyway, all of the characters here are dealing with a major, major sort of uh, death or slash a character being turned in the very first uh, issue of uh, DC Deceased number one uh, number one, which was a Sunspots Comics top pick by the way, Deceased. But this is the second of the six, and I love this opening sequence that shows Aquaman um, on this sort of abandoned uh, freighter tanker on the ocean that uh, has just been floating around. A lot of the um, the metal pods are falling off into the ocean and Aquaman goes there to figure out what's happening and he's just hit by a horde of, of zombies in this tanker. And yeah, it's just this surprise look on his face and the battle that ensues and how they sort of overrun him and, he's, and he goes into the ocean. So is Aquaman turned? You don't quite know right from the opening sequence. So it just gets you. You're like, oh man, I want to see what happens. Then they kind of focus on Harley Quinn for a while and she's... She's having a little chit-chat with her pudding. And, yeah, surprise, Joker zombie. <laughs> yes, it's wonderful. It's glorious. Wait till you see the look of Joker virus zombie. It's wonderful. That's enough right there just to buy this comic. There's a sequence with uh, some of the Arrow people. <laughs> I'm not a big, huge Arrow fan. Haven't been, so I don't quite know who they are. They don't really lay out this is so-and-so. But it's some Arrow folks. And uh, what happens there is kind of interesting as well. Because it involves the Green Lantern. So, yes, it's mixing up all the characters. It's giving them just the right amount of time, just the right, right, right amount of showcasing of each character to kind of just keep moving and, and, oh, what's going on with this character? What's going on with Harley Quinn? What's the Green Lantern? He is a... He's changed. He's turned. He's a virus monster. How is the... How are they going to handle the Green Lantern turn to be this... Well, I mean, 
in the uh, Darkest Night uh, series. What was that? The uh, the Black Lantern. Black Lantern uh, had some of that those elements there. But how are they going to handle this one now? Like, so we got to see what happens here. And Superman is struggling to keep it all together. He's definitely the centerpiece of this. But um, to to spoil issue number one a bit again, spoilery warning: Batman has been turned major character in issue number one was turned in deceased to a zombie. So. Yeah, they're, they're going for it, folks. Get deceased. If you love zombies and you love DC Comics or you love comic books or just fun, <laughs> you love monster fun, get deceased. It has just been a absolute fun uh, read. I want it to be more than six, but we'll see how they pace it out. It's going so far so great. Love it. So coming up next is Five Years, issue number two. This is from Written, Created, Drawn, by Terry Moore. This is issue number two from his Abstract Studio. And I think what I love most about Five Years Number Two is it feels like a James Bond movie in a way. We have uh, the character again. He's playing with his entire toy box. It's the Terry Moore universe here, and it's the it's the character that uh, it that was to see Rachel Rising, the character Rachel, who is like a, wa- a living dead. She's like a zombie <clears throat> that's uh, walking around, and she has a counterpart that's a young girl. That is this demon, this devil that's that's trapped inside a young girl, like an like a eight year old girl, ten year old girl. But the setting is so James Bondian. Uh, it's very it's set in Russia. It's set next to the river. It's set in winter. It's like Russia is always in winter, but uh, and always near this river where all these buildings are. And she's there to find some names. So there is this Phi bomb that's being created. Five years. It's called Five Years because they believe. In five years, the Phi Bomb will explode and destroy the world. So, like, the Terry Moore-verse of women, mostly, are trying to save the world. And so, Rachel is actually in meeting with a guy under the bridge, near the river, in the snowing Russia, uh, to to find some names that could be related to who is creating this Phi Bomb so that they can save the world. And, yeah, this Russian guy is not good. He's not a nice guy. He's... He's just this, uh, yeah, vodka drinking, cigarette smoking, a womanizing jerk that she has to eventually kind of torture and have this fantastic fight sequence in this frozen river. It's just gruesome and lovely. And it's a black and white comic, and I love it. I mean, there's so, I mean, there's The Walking Dead in this that I've read that of the most of just being black and white. I, I probably would love it more being colored, but I love it as it is. And the, the, the conversation between Zoe and Rachel, the demon girl and and the the zombie woman, it's just fantastic. Like she, I guess some of the ten year old brain has kind of infected her in the spirit, and so she has this naivete, but also wants to kill things. <laughs> so it's it's a it's just a well designed character. Hats off, Mr. Terry Moore, for making a complex, interesting characters and all of your Terry Moore verse, but. But yeah, Rachel is just trying to get this information from this jerk and it just goes wrong and, and they're in the river and only one of them's going to make it out. And the young demon woman, oh, and then there's this great sort of after that sequence, uh, Rachel's sort of stabbed in a very odd place. And so she's kind of out of it, but she's a zombie too. So I don't think she's going to die, but she's bleeding out. And so this kid, Zoe, sees who stabbed her and runs after them. And there's a whole other sequence with that. And it's fantastic how that ends. She ends up, it's like a priest, it looks like. And so she is this demon. So it's like a demon versus a priest. It's just fantastic. It's great storytelling. It's wonderful emotions that Terry Moore has just perfectly captured. It can be a little tricky 
and some of his other stuff telling which girl is who because sometimes they do look the same but in this it's just a young girl and, and, and a little you know 20 something girl that's a zombie with these weird scars on her neck so it you don't get caught up in that and so it really is just a this might have been my if I had to just pick one as a pick of the week this might have been it from from all of what I've just explained about five years issue number two from Terry Moore get it it's only on issue number two if you haven't read strangers in paradise I recommend that too it's like 90 comics but do it binge it it's fantastic and that leads read everything Terry Moore because that's what five years is it's the culmination of all of his comics and all of the characters in those comics uh, right down into this series of the world ending in five years so great stuff it has been a sunspots comics top pick of the week uh, that is five years from Terry Moore. Get it, get it, get it. Support your comic book shops and go buy that immediately. So next up, I think we're getting close to the halfway mark here, um, is Silver Surfer Black, issue number one. And I read the director's cut, which, by the way, I recommend. It's just got, it's got, like, a bunch of stuff in the back about the coloring process and the sort of the how they came up with the character look. This is um, written by Donnie Cates, one of my favorite writers of all time and trad Moore, one of my favorite artists of all time he did luther strode go and look at that luther strode's fantastic they just let him loose in luther strode it's his baby from beginning to end but i think at, at its core why i loved silver surfer black is that it's just so cosmic-y and it's just so out there in the galaxy it's exactly what you want it has these beautiful epic long shots of the silver surfer just zipping through the cosmos so you just want that you expect it and, and also moments of him and Galactus, like this fantastic opening sequence of him and Galactus devouring planets and going through and hitting some planets that don't have very many people but live in a very love, filled with love-like way and how that tortures the Silver Surfer by having to do what he does. So it's that it's an opening sequence that's just lovely and so beautifully drawn by Trad Moore. He's just amazing at doing intricate pieces of just this cosmic wackiness there's even some shots where like the silver surfer is the, the camera angle is like the silver surfer is walking over you. So you're like, it's like a crotch shot. <laughs> it's like an upskirt shot to, for lack of better way to explain it. And so, yeah, you're looking at silver surfers crotch as he sort of steps over you. It's like an action uh, camera scene where the camera's on the ground. So it's just weird moments like that is what Tradmore is known for. He comes out of panels, he crosses panels, he does weird shapes of panels, he does like bordering and edging that have strange coloring on the edges to add some weird framework to stuff, cosmic-y, kind of gelatinous-y colored framework. I love it all. Absolutely love it all. He comes into contact with uh, the Cosmic Ghost Rider, so that's interesting because they have kind of a similar power set. But yeah, what happens also with with Silver Surfer's arm is interesting and how the coloring of it happens. That's on the cover, by the way. Beautiful coloring of his like it's like a rainbow smoke that's coming out of Silver Surfer's arm. So it's a unique twist on losing an arm because uh, he's cosmically powered. So how would that be? And so Trad Moore gets to live in that beautifully colored uh, realm for a minute. But yeah, it goes into the very kind of strangely odd and cosmic and a moment where Silver Surfer's like almost losing his powers as he's traveling through the through the darkness, through the millennia, through the beginning of time and the end of time, and it's it's all of what you want in a, a Silver Surfer comic, which is strange cosmic-y goodness. So get it for that. I don't quite know where it's going yet because there's a, kind of a lot happening. Uh, I'm sure because it's Danny uh, Cates, he's gonna chisel it down to a little more understandable story. But right now, 
It's uh, it's cosmically out there. Silver Surfer Black, issue number one. Get it. It's gorgeous. Trad Moore, fantastic artist. And coming up next is our cover artist winner of the week. It's Star Wars, Vader, Dark Visions, issue number five. Again, the cover is from Greg Smallwood, our cover artist winner of the week. And this is written by Mr. Dennis Hopeless Hallam. And this is art by Geraldo Borges. Borges? Borges? Anyway, sorry. And again, cover by Greg Smallwood, our cover art winner of the week. And these have all been one-shots, and this is a fantastic, action-packed one-shot. The opening sequence is great. You've got Darth Vader with a stormtrooper on a planet. He's giving the stormtrooper some orders, and then they're, like, attacked by, like, this monstrous Venus flytrap is what it looks like. And I just love how casually, as Vader's giving orders, he just slices down this crazy little shop of horrors monster that's coming after him. While he's still reading his orders, he's like, Stormtrooper, don't worry about this thing attacking you. I've got a lightsaber. Just listen to my orders and do what I'm telling you. It's like, it's just very casual. And uh, at the end of the sequence, as this little shop of horrors, green Venus flytrap thing is dead. He's like, did you get my orders? And he's like, uh, yes, Lord Vader. He's like all uh, um from it, disheveled. But I love that sequence. It's just great. It hooked me from the get-go. And this kind of shows uh, parts of the rebellion here that are in the underground that uh, this one particular character has some details, has some plans that he's going to try to sell in the black market or sell to the rebellion to make some money. But unfortunately, Darth Vader finds out about said plans and decides to destroy this entire sort of black market underworld and go after this kid that has he's way in over his head and so you kind of see that through his eyes he's just running desperately he runs through the uh the little shop of horrors vines that kind of give him this uh strange euphoric um kind of uh you know drug endosed uh, nature that he's just tripping out he's tripping uh, he's like on an acid trip here and uh, that's what these vines plants are known for and so the enhancement of that as when he sees darth vader is phenomenal like because he's tripping on plants of some sort. Darth Vader's, even his lightsaber looks like this red serpent. This long, like, kind of Chinese dragon. It's wonderful. It's like Darth Vader like you've never seen from this drug inducement that's happening to this desperate kid as he's running. And the little shop of horror monsters come back and are giving Darth Vader a hard time. It's just action-packed. It doesn't stop right till the end. Uh, you know, things aren't going to end well for this uh, this rebel kid. That's in way over his head. And uh, what will Darth Vader do? Is he going to... I love how they play with... In some of these, he's Darth Vader is considered like the savior because of some things that he does on a planet. But it, it has no intention of being a savior. It's because he destroys a bigger bad guy or something. But he's kind of shown in a few different lights. And this definitely at the end shows Darth Vader in a little different light. Sort of. <laughs> but, it, but it's still very much within the vibe of Vader. The Vader vibe. But um, I like that they're, he's playing along, the, the one shots are all kind of sprinkling in a little different aspect, a little different view, a little different perspective of, of what Vader is to other people in the galaxy. In the galaxy. Okay, so, <laughs> Dark Visions, Vader, issue number five, get it. They, it's a standalone, it's a one shot. So no attachment, just go read it. Alright, so next up is Voracious Appetite for Destruction. Issue number two, this is from Action Lab, Danger Zone. I had the creators on a Sunspots Comics podcast, on a spotlighting podcast, so go check them out. You've got uh, creator Marcuson Nasso, and uh, also this is by artist 
Jason Muir. So check them out. They're both. I interviewed them both at the same time on the uh, Sunspots Comics feed. Go check it out. They're from Voracious. They're the creators of Voracious. And issue number two, uh, issue number one of Voracious was not uh, a top pick, but number two definitely was. I think for at its core, what I really enjoyed was the best friend sort of situation between this one uh, dinosaur character. He's a, you know, he's a, he's um, a, a policeman, dinosaur cop, and his best friend, his partner. It's a, you know, a buddy cop situation thing, and it's a flashback. I guess that's what I love about it. It's the best friend, buddy cop moment that are these, these uh, anthropomorphic dinosaur humanoids. But uh, quick gist, a voracious, this young man uh, found a way to like open a portal or go into this other dimension that is a dinosaur dimension. He thought it was uh, the Earth, and so he was hunting dinosaurs and eating them and serving them in his restaurant. Yes, and I love that they even come out with the creators have put like, uh, like, dinosaur-related recipes at the end of every issue of Voracious. Got to check that out. And it looks like, looks like some great recipes to make some delicious food. But anyway, so the young man serves dinosaurs, and uh, he finds out that it is another dimension. But he went back in time to the the dinosaurs that have evolved into these uh, anthropomorphic uh, dinosaur humanoids. And he's wiping out their ancestors. So that's kind of the core of it. So this Triceratopsian, you know, humanoid dinosaur finds out about all this and is trying to kind of stop everything and at the same time save his partner, who his partner is like this bird-like raptor character that had his taste for human blood and it's like tweaking him out big time. Like he's just... Uh, his, it's like it's altering his DNA and he's becoming uh, a voracious dinosaur creature that is uh, bloodthirsty. And that this anyway, the main part of it that I loved, it was this flashback, this cop flashback showing the importance of their relationship. The two of them, uh, they're involved in like this bank robbery and it's personal. The Triceratops-ish character cop, uh, it's involving the woman that he loves. And it's like the partner literally, his, his bird-like raptor partner literally takes a bullet for him. And how it's done is in great fashion. And you even see the emotion in the faces. Jason Muir uh, on art does a great job of, of pulling off uh, what uh, the facial expressions would be on a, uh, you know, on a dinosaur humanoid. So I love it. It sells it. And you're invested now into the best friendness. And you want the character, uh, their best friend's uh, situation to work out. But like I said, when you flash back to current time, he's even the, the character that's had this taste of blood is even evolving uh, genetically and turning into a much bigger, you know, bloodthirstier monster. And uh, it's just great. And then there's a sequence also where, like, the main character's girlfriend is talking to her brother in the car, and her brother's a cop. And Jason Muir spent a bunch of time with just some great panel work here where they're inside a car and they're talking. And it's just this lovely woman that's looking outside of her of, of the cop window and this longing on her face. Great job, Jason. Like, you're, you, you're, you continually kind of improve and step up your art. So check this out, you guys. Voracious, Appetite for Destruction, issue number two. Get number one to get a little more. They, they do a great previously on on issue number one. That'll get you all caught up. It's like a good couple of two or three paragraphs of everything you missed in the volume one. So this is definitely volume two of Voracious. So get it, check it out. It's 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 got dinosaurs, folks, and it's got time travel. It's just so much fun. It's a blast, and I'm glad that it's back. Between Volume 1 and 2, there's been a long period of time. But 
Check out the creators, Marcus Nasso and Jason Muir. They're on the Sunspots Comics feed. I interview the both of them at once. It's great. Check it out. But next up, I think we're on the like final five now. So five more great comics to give you. So here we go. Next up is Hellboy and the BPRD, The Beast of Vargu, issue number one. I think it's a one-shot, but I hope there's more. But it does kind of have a solid end at the end of this. But this is from the team of, written by Mike Mignola, of course, who created the Hellboy. Um, and art by Duncan Fagredo. Great artist. Another potential artist winner of the week right here. Great stuff. Just I love the way he does it. It's that minimalist style of Hellboy that we're used to. Uh, not quite as minimalist as as Mike Mignola when he does it. There's a lot more intricate detail, but it still has that kind of wordless, those wordless scenes where Hellboy's exploring. Like this opening sequence, he's in Romania in 1962, somewhere in the Carpathian Mountains, and Hellboy's just exploring all this, this sort of ancient, these relics and these this drawing that's on the ground, and he's just studying it, looking at it, and clearing away some branches to find other little clues. It's just, it's Indiana Jones. It's beautiful stuff. And then you've got uh, this phone call, uh, this conversation. I love it because it gives you the layout of the conversation between his dad-like character, Hellboy's dad. And he's just telling him about the sort of lore that's involved with this Vargu character and that people have gone missing and then why he needs to, you know, to go and investigate. And it's just also a great little nod to like this father-son relationship there. And I love that. It's it's a warm moment that they're having on the phone as he sends him to go find a monster. And my absolutely my favorite sequence is the fight scene between Hellboy and the Beast Vargu. It's glorious. And again, it's in these ruins and it's like a bird-like, tiger-like creature. It's just all kind of black with these insane fangs and claws. And Hellboy's having a difficult time here. And a matter of fact, he kind of blacks out. And when he blacks out, it's like another one of my favorite sequences. He's picked up by these gypsies. And these gypsies kind of put on this puppet show. They take the blood of Hellboy because he's been lying there like bleeding to death. They take his blood and they they take this wooden stump and they chisel out a Hellboy puppet. And they put on like a Hellboy puppet show to tell him what he's missed because they know that he's been in and out of consciousness. And I love that, that they're filling in the flashbacks. They, they kind of observed what was happening from afar. And they put it on in puppet show form. Yes, Gypsies is like Geppetto's, you know, widow wife <laughs> that's putting on this insane puppet show of demons fighting each other. Monsters and demons fighting with the blood of Hellboy that's actually painted upon this wooden puppet, this marionette. So it's wonderful. It's I really super enjoyed it. It's a great one shot. It's a solid ending at the end. There's a kind of a second story. It's sort of ends one chapter and kind of continues another with more of the gypsy the two there's like an old woman gypsy and then this young kind of pretty gypsy woman that that hellboy has wants nothing to do with but but they they also kind of dive into another very spooky little like dark chasm that is just wonderful looking and so it's another little short story at the end of the main core story uh, more with the gypsies and it's smart to do because it's it, it, you want more of it, the relationship, the weird uh, older woman and the almost the, the, the pretty young gypsy doesn't say anything, but she's just kind of there as a servant to the old gypsy marionette uh, puppet wielder lady Geppetto thing. <laughs> but anyway, it's a great Hellboy one shot. Best I've read in a long time. Definitely give it a go. That's Hellboy and the BPRD. Oh, the BPRD is really not in it. Um, so it's just been Hellboy and the BPRD, the Beast of Vargu number one. 
And uh, I want more, but I'd be happy if this was just a one-shot, which I think maybe it is. All right, so this is another one right now. It's Ascender issue number three. I already discussed Ascender issue number two. Ascender number three got better than issue number two. This is written by Jeff Lemire and art by Dustin Wen. Another stunning cover with like a dragon and uh, an Andy with this crazy gun that he's covered in bandages to hide it because like like tech cannot be found on this planet or you're killed immediately. They're on the run. Him and his young daughter Mila, who's holding this overly sized giant staff, which is fine. Thing is like 12 feet tall compared to her, <laughs> but uh, that's fine. And Mila is kind of in her little backpack. She has the robot that crash landed to Earth from the Descender series. That's like a like a dog. He's like a pet robot. And I guess like most of techs and robots and stuff have been in the last 10 years have been wiped out. He's living on a planet now that's got a lot more fantasy. It's got dragons. It's got magic. And it has this sort of this evil empire of people that are trying to do away with all tech. So they are on the run. But they want to find out why um, his old robot dog has returned to him from the stars. Was that coincidence of all the planets and that they know of? This robot just land 12 feet away from its owner. So there has to be something there. And that's the core of the story. They dip into the opening sequence into Descender, into the past, showing these giant kaiju robots that wiped out most of humanity way in the future. And his uh, love interest that's there that uh, and, and shows kind of their love and what happens to them and how their baby was born and where. So it's, it's definitely a great jumping on right here. It gives you the backstory that you kind of that I wanted in Descender 1 and 2. As to how Mila was born and how did Andy uh, become a dad. And well, it's here. It's given to you. So it's the meat of the story. It's what we need to kind of be invested in this character, in Mila and in Andy. As they just try to, if there's a struggling to stay alive on this planet that wants to destroy all technology. And yet, uh, they, they again, they want to keep this, uh, the robot uh, dog alive so they can figure out what's going on. So they just want to get off planet. But it's like every turn they make is leading them towards being found. And there are also little beautiful discoveries. Like there's this wonderful little stampede of like these fox piglets kind of things. or pink foxes. And it's a herd of them that comes by. This planet is beautiful and lush and it's watercolored by dust and wind. So you just love living in that space and want to be there. But you got this feeling that they're going to get off planet and things are going to change very soon. Which I love. And you get like different palettes and different fields and different planets. So, man, and they're even chased by this, like, uh, giant ogre-looking creature that chases after them. So, yeah, and then it flashes back to the planet when Mila was born and, and a little bit further in the future and kind of showing how she's developed and kind of who she is as a character as she starts to kind of talk and walk and be a person. And so, yeah, and, and, and then... And there's more dragons. So yeah, dragons. It's like I said, it's taken this sci-fi turn. This is a little more on the sci-fi side. All of it though is watercolored by Dustin Wynn, and it's at its core, it's a father and daughter just trying to stay alive in this crazy world. And it even seems like maybe vampires um, are kind of in this. So it's definitely dipping heavily into the fantasy realm, into the kind of bits and pieces of the horror realm, and still in the sci-fi realm because they're definitely stranded on this moon at one point. And it's just, it's a ton of fun. At, at how it's going now, I might even have enjoyed, I'm enjoying it more than I did Descender. But I, I read all of it. But here we are, Ascender, issue number three. So definitely get it. It's only on issue three. It's from Image Comics. So get it right away. It's fantastic. And next up is another new number one. One of the five new number ones. I forgot how many we are into it. But uh, this is Kento, issue number one from IDW. This is uh, written by David Boer. And this is art by Drew Zucker. And I read somewhere that this is, this is was kind of like a, a an all-ages story. 
somewhere I read that it's what it's supposed to be and I kind of forgot that because as I'm reading this it didn't feel like an all-ages story I don't know maybe like a preteen but because uh, it, it definitely handles some like some dark uh, some stuff here <laughs> it's kind of like mixing a little bit of, of Wizard of Oz uh, with like a darker fantasy kind of story and uh, art by Drew Zucker is fantastic. I don't know his work, but I'm a fan now. Good job, Drew. Thank you. And it's set in this strange world where they're kind of like they remind me of like little Tin Men is maybe the, the sort of nod to the Wizard of Oz. Maybe that's about all there is. But it's set in this crazy, weird fantasy world, realm, planet, where these kind of minotaur creatures have um, gathered up these small Tin Men and made them slaves. Yeah. Slaves. That's right. I was like, so kids, you know, and they're being kind of tortured and beaten at some point, uh, you know, whipped. And you're like, wow, this is for. I was reading this and I'm like, wasn't this for kids? And I'm like, oh, I don't think this is. Well, maybe preteens. I don't know. But anyway, I enjoyed it. So I don't know. I, I I even I don't just try to prejudge something that's all ages or whatever. If I, I feel it looks interesting, it has a, a mostly interesting looking art and it captures my eye and interest, I'll give it a read. I, I sort of don't care what the rating or genre or, you know, uh, what, what the gist or what age it's meant for. And I'm glad I read it because uh, this kind of shows that they're these small tin men people, uh, their hearts have been replaced. They've been taken out and replaced with like clocks. There's like a little bit of a steampunky kind of element to it. I like that. I, I, it's definitely blending of genres, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And our main character, Cantu, who is not supposed to be naming himself, who isn't supposed to fall in love, has a girlfriend, and uh, who uh, is just kind of a rule breaker and wants to escape. He wants to, he doesn't want to just follow all the, all the other, you know, small tin people and be a slave to these minotaurs. He wants to live and, and he just wants to be himself and, and stand out and escape and find a way to, to rally the troops to fight. And, and then there's this Tin Man doctor that's a very ineffective doctor. <laughs> Whenever they bring anyone, he's like, yeah, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> it's like he's a kind of one note in that regard. He, you know, he's like the Papa Smurf, but, uh, you know, can't really do anything. But I definitely want to see where this goes. It, He definitely sort of makes his outing, if you will. Cantu stands up against uh, the powers that be, the Minotaur slave masters. And... But now he, he has to kind of start a new journey at the end of this to uh, to save his love interest. And thankfully, they, they, they use like ribbons on these uh, small tin people that you can kind of sh show the difference because they all look exactly the same. So I'm glad they, they're doing that. There are some little, little tiny facial differences, but they look really similar. So it can be a little tricky that way. But look for the ribbons. Look for the colored ribbons. And some of the eyes are different or some don't have both eyes, that kind of thing. But it's subtle. But so you got to actually kind of pay a little attention. But I want to see where the next uh, issue goes. I want to see this adventure he goes on, this escape that he has to have. And, and is he going to save his loved one? It's, if it's made for kids, you know, probably. But want to see the journey that he goes on here. And it's it's adorable little tin people characters. So uh, it, it does have that Wizard of Ozness to it. So, yeah. I want to see where Kanto goes. Very well done. Thank you guys for this great debut issue. Kanto issue number one. Check it out from IDW. It's definitely worth a read. It's a lot of fun. And uh, next up is our artist winner of the week. It's Conan the Barbarian issue number seven. This is uh, legacy number 282. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's written by Jason Aaron, one of the best comic book writers of all time. And our artist winner of the week, Mahmoud Azrar. And he has been a Sunspots Comics artist winner of the week a bunch of times. So definitely check him out. 
And the reason this is awesome is, like I said, it's uh, the opening sequence gets you from the get-go, this tortage tort town, this Pirates of the Caribbean town, and this kind of brothel. And Conan, he hires like five women that just look like they're from all different parts of the world and that they, they just look in their eyes fierce like they could fight. And I think that's why he hires them. He has a gut feeling about them. And he needs them for this kind of secret mission that he doesn't explain to these women. And at one point, uh, you know, the women are like, are we here as sex slaves? Like, maybe we, let's get it on. And Conan's like, no, that's not part of the mission here. Let's stay on point. And, uh, you know, these are five beautiful women that are traveling with him. And they're, you know, he paid an absurd amount for them to, to be with him. But he's like, nah, Conan, good. Stay on mission. But uh, anyway, and then they, my favorite action sequence is the wolf fight. There, he's attacked by a pack of wolves. These women can fight, but he's like, no, you're under my protection let me fight all the wolves. And it's just this like brutal, like I said, visceral fight with wolves. And it's beautiful at the same time. It's a bloodbath of gorgeousness. And Conan is, uh, you know, doing the honorable thing and protecting, you know, these women. And they don't need it because as he's uh, like fairly unconscious after this wolf fight, they go out and hunt when he didn't believe there were any animals in this area. And they he they provide a meal and he's he's gathering his strength again. And finally he comes to a bit of his senses and tells them what he wants to do and he he needs them because he needs to kind of put on this uh, visage this this kind of wear a costume and disguise himself as a like a uh, as a pimp as a you know someone that has uh, these women that work for them the women of the night that work for him he's their you know their their overseer and they even help him they're like no you can't go looking the way you're looking they won't believe you that you're you know that you're in charge of us you need to fancy it up a bit and they they shave him uh, you know and take his you know his clothing and make him a little fancier looking so that they can go on to this opulent boat and ultimately conan wants to kill the leader of this opulent boat boat because uh the he that person uh, is the one that killed the woman that Conan loved in a previous the the Bellet I think is the name of the Conan comic that I read the first issue I didn't really care for it but that must have been a little more focused on the love there because it ties into that it references it so this person you know killed the love interest of Conan and he wants revenge and that's why he's there and that's why he has no interest in being with these other women so it's this great tale it's beautifully drawn there's an epic layout scene where they're getting onto this this very you know uh, jewel-ridden boat into this sort of underground uh, river and it's just gorgeous looking and yeah Conan being fancied up is also kind of funny that he's uncomfortable with that and the guy that they're coming after is very likable as well so it seemed like whatever happened with Conan's love interest was kind of just a business deal gone awry or something he doesn't have a whole lot of sort of hatred towards Conan but yeah when when Conan finally uh, puts aside his uh, his his costume and you know becomes vengeant upon thee and rages down upon them his sword and and there's just blood flying and spattering and all five women join into the fight and it's it is just conan at its best it's at all cylinders it's what you want uh with conan action bloody goreness sword action he's throwing people into the into the river with the alligators it's just uh it's a ton of fun and they all the women build like this respect for him because he he's a man of honor and so it's just interesting how uh, that all comes to be and what happens at the end is definitely a twist and a surprise and a whole lot of fun and leads back into the kind of bigger conan story that's been happening with this uh weird crazy demon that wants conan's blood 
to awaken this other giant demon. So it leads into that. So definitely get Conan. They're like, I don't know, four or five Conan titles right now from Savage Conan to the Bellet series. I think there's another one coming soon. But honestly, in all the Conan titles I've read, I, I want to say there's four, but I can't think of the other one. This is the best of them. Just Conan the Barbarian. It's Jason Aaron writing it. He's really spent some time. Read the back matter. He's done some homework. He's loved Conan for years, and he really does it right. I'm so glad that Marvel got the rights back to it and gave it to Jason Aaron and Mahmoud Azrar to do the art. It's glorious. It's beautiful. Get it. Conan the Barbarian, issue number seven. It, it kind of stands alone. Ties into other stuff, but really, you can read it all by itself. All right, and this is the 14th of 14. Like I said, it's only gone from the oldest new comic book day to the latest comic book new comic book day. And the last and 14th and final comic that I'll recommend to you, which I highly recommend you buy, this is the second time it's in this countdown here, and it's Dark Red, issue number four. It's from Aftershock Comics. It's written by Tim Seeley and beautiful art from Corin Howell. I'm a huge fan now of Corin Howell. Give, give her a follow on social media. Just look up Corin Howell. Gorgeous stuff. Just so realistic, so hyper-detailed, even in the far back shots, even in the art that's on the wall in a far kind of shot, all very super hyper-detailed. Lots of beautiful penciling. This had to take a long time. They already must have a bunch of issues in the bank because there's no way she's doing this like on a monthly schedule, not being done and already finished. So this, again, uh, opening sequence goes into the character that our main guy here, again, who's kind of a kind of a right-wing kind of a MAGA vampire that wants to just not be part of the vampire world and live alone in the middle of nowhere working at a convenience store and drinking the blood of a woman that has a rare blood disorder that just I guess she keeps producing blood at a rate to where she has to give blood every day so works out perfectly for a vampire so he doesn't have to hunt and kill other humans this kind of gives you a little bit of her backstory and where she came from and why she's going to be an important key to the story moving forward and she's also, her flashback is also, she's been captured. So these vampire Nazis, yes, vampire Nazis, are, they have uh, the, you know, the friend, they're not even romantically involved, the, uh, the right-wing vampire, because again, I forgot his name, I'll just refer to him as that. <laughs> um, he, uh, and he's a very interesting, very well, he's very like Americana character. I dig the sort of complexity of his character. And uh, the sort of political nods there, uh, whether I believe the, his politicalness or not, I just I like the way the character's designed and drawn. And uh, he, um, the the woman that he drinks blood from, even kind of hinted at that maybe they can have a little cute thing happening. But again, like I said just a little bit ago, uh, she's the food, so they're really just kind of uh, platonic friends. And so now he really wants to save her, and we get to kind of meet the the evil vampire baddie that wants that's encroaching upon his his area, his, his, like the area that he's marked as his domain. I, I don't know whether he, um, like, Hey, I peed on this convenience, convenience store. It's my territory or how he does that, you know, pheromone juice or something weird, some vampire, I don't know, fair thing, essence, but uh, that's uh, getting gross, but, um, they're encroaching. And so now he has to battle them. This is the sort of the aftermath of the battle of fighting some of the Nazi, uh, vampires, and then he's also kind of, uh, they, they, vampires have a way of, of kind of um, putting them under a spell, enthrallment, he calls it. And the people in, under his protection and this, uh, these, you know, these simple kind of Midwest uh, guys, truck drivers and so on, I've been enthralled and he has to kind of let them go. But at the same time, he needs their help and he's kind of recruiting them. 
So is he enthralling them as well? Not sure, but he's uh, he's definitely asking, and he's he's not trying to mind manipulate uh, humans. He respects them, so I like that complexity. He doesn't want to kill humans, and he's actually kind of asking for help of these simple trucker folks, fellas, um, right wing guys, kind of racist guys that he he recruits to help him. So I dug that, and then uh, and then the the part that kind of makes you mad was when the this new sort of bad guy that's encroached upon right uh, right wing vampire is uh, is taking the blood from his friend and she's just having a great time with it and she does have a, a rare blood disorder so like she explains it tastes differently her blood is like a unique vintage I thought that's kind of weird and gross and kind of interesting the way that that's played but um, I dig it it's a fresh look it's a new take on the vampire genre. It's with, a, again, like, you know, sort of politically sort of infused in a way, kind of. It's not kind of in your face too much about in that way. But you feel for the main um, right-wing vampire. and You want him to get his life kind of back in order and live that quiet life and, and get rid of these zombie vampires that are encroaching on his territory. So that's what Dark Red is all about. So definitely get issue number four. One of my favorite Aftershock comics in a long time. I'm really loving it. Uh, get it. Dark Red issue number four. Whew, so there you go. Those are the 14 comics that I recommend for you that all came out in the last five weeks of New Comic Book Day from May 29th to June 26th. Let me lock this giant vault door of 14 comics. There you go. So if you have any questions or comments or want your own personal comic book recommendation, email me directly to chris at sunspotscomics.com. And to see the whole Sunspots Comics universe encapsulated in one place with all my favorite picks of the week since May of 2015, go and look at sunspotscomics.com. Check it out. I just updated my pull list, by the way. I'm down to 72 comic titles that I'm currently reading. Yes, 72. So I update my little site every so often. Please go check out sunspotscomics.com. Also, thank you to our other sponsor, Pop Up Tea. Check them out at popuptea.com. They have a huge selection of nerdy t-shirts at popuptea.com. They seriously have a nerdy shirt for any little nerdy fun thing you can think of. All kind of, a lot of mashings together like, you know, Zelda and Mario. Just all kinds of fun stuff. And when you go to popuptea.com, use the promotional code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you'll get 25% off of any, any popuptea.com shirt order. Even the clearance stuff, which is already really cheap. So go and check out and thank you to popuptea.com. And please tune in next time for issue number 211 of the Sunspots Comics podcast, where I'm going to be reading 12 new comics on my pull list for New Comic Book Day, July 3rd. And five of them, by the way, are new number ones that I'm definitely going to check out. And here is just a quick little glimpse into some of the comic books that are coming out New Comic Book Day, July 3rd, that I'm really excited to read. Like Deceased, issue number three is coming out next week. It's already upon us. Number three, that's DC's zombie series. Oh, and Heathen, issue number seven. That's from Vault Comics, so I hope I can get it. It's kind of an indie, you know, very limited print. But Heathen, issue number seven. It's like this this woman barbarian that is uh, struggling to stay in the world. Um, and also because she's a she's like a, a woman, a, like a, a lesbian character in a, in a strange time where there are barbarians. So it's like an interesting twist on the barbarian genre. That's Heathen. Really great read. It was a Sunspots Comics topic of the week a few times with lovely art. Um, also, another uh, another series is coming out from Mark Millar called Space Bandits, issue number one. So that's the image slash Netflix stuff that's going to be a movie or TV series on Netflix called Space Bandits from Mark Millar. So I definitely 
gotta read that and uh, and like i said the walking dead 193 comes out the uh the aftermath of rick so anyway don't forget our sunspots comics pledge i'm gonna be reading a whole bunch of brand new comic books but i'm only gonna be recommending to you the greatest of them so you can save some time and save a whole bunch of cash right that's what it's all about please help us out by telling someone a loved one a nerdy loved one about the sunspots comics podcast spread the word and please go over to iTunes, give us a five-star review with a few positive words. Together, those two things are really important. And if you do so, I'll actually read it on a future podcast, give you a little shout-out, and I will even mail you the coveted Sunspots Comics prize package. Yes, I will mail you something for giving us a little five-star review on iTunes. So that'll do, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the Sunspots Comics podcast. I hope you capture just a little of that love that i have of comic books and i hope you go and get those all 14 of these new comic books they're fantastic have a a fun and safe independence day fourth of july celebration spend some time with the ones that you love eat some barbecue or whatever it is just have some lovely conversations with the people that mean something to you that are close to you and then after that go and read some comic books together that's the best but uh, thank you so much and have fun on your holiday and like our good friend Stan used to say, we miss you, Stan. Hang loose, heroes. To be continued. Thanks, guys. See you till next time. Bye-bye. Previously on X-Men.